here we are. Another here we are. Another one. We did it. This is like two yeah. in maybe two months. For us, that's like a that's something we gotta <laughs> it's grab like the onto good old and keep days. Up. <laughs> like the good old days. Yeah. And we could do one a month. We're getting better. We're, exactly. we're working on it, everybody. We've heard you. We've heard you. We've met with you. We've seen people in person that have asked us for more episodes. So we're working on it. And we're we're, you know, the 10 of you are your voices are loud. We're hearing you. <laughs> Exactly. And, and, you know, for those people that keep asking, wanting more, remember, you know, you, you start asking those questions. You're going to get the you're going to well, end up here. If you want to join us, hey, yeah. <laughs> here we are. Which that is that will be our next episode. Not this one, but I do have a, our next one is going to be from um, somebody that's that's done that. So super grateful for those of you reaching yep. out to me. Keep reaching out to me however you'd like LinkedIn, whatever. So, but today uh, we have a really interesting topic. Not that all, you know, we just think biocom is so interesting, always <laughs> sarcasm font maybe there. Um, but our, our senior director of North American Analytical Services, Chuck Ducker, just went to Korea last month and did a full day training with the uh, MFDS there on chemical characterization and we know we get lots of questions about Korea. So we thought it was a great opportunity to talk to him about his visit and what he learned while he was there on the podcast. So this one might be one of our most, like, it's like um, breaking news kind of ish, but not really. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, you know, and, and that's just the kind of gotcha moment right there that we mentioned Korea and biocompatibility. So that's right. like, <laughs> now you, you got to keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, in case y'all don't know, Chuck is our senior director of North American Analytical Services at NAMSA. He oversees our chemical characterization groups, um, the design and execution of our extractables and leachables testing programs for um, the medical device industry, all of the all of the equipment, all those all that analysis is under his uh, leadership. He specializes certainly in LCMS analysis. He has over 20 years of experience in the CRO and biotech industries and has earned a PhD in biochemistry, molecular biology from Penn State University, as well as a BS in biology from Millersville University. So I, I think everybody's going to enjoy this episode. I would love to say we answered all your questions about Korea. I mean, I could say that it would be a blatant you could lie. Say <laughs> I'd have to be crossing all my fingers and toes because I'd be lying. But uh, we had some really good discussion and it was great to learn what Chuck heard over there. Definitely. Always good to hear anything about Biocom and, and take from it what you may. Take it for sure. Take what you can and take what you like and leave the rest, I like to say. So enjoy this episode. Welcome to Biocompatibility, the first ever podcast focused on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Very exciting today. Very exciting. So we have joining us, as I mentioned in the intro, Chuck. Charles Ducker, he is our, oh, I'm going to mess this up, North American Director. Senior Director. Senior Director, North American Analytical Services. 
I'll get it right in the bio when I when I do the <laughs> intro. So <laughs> thank you so much, Chuck. You're pushing um what ten months at NAMSA now, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> And he's still That's smiling. Right. I can see his smiling face. <laughs> Don's pushing 30 years in a few weeks. Uh, maybe by the that, time this is out. That's just because I've stayed in one place the whole time. So, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we get comfortable. <laughs> so we're excited today because one of the things we get asked about a lot um, at different training events or through, you know, email questions is the the Korean Authority, so the Ministry of Food and Drug Safety, MFDS is what they're called in Korea. And in particular, we get asked a lot about what's their thoughts or opinions or position on Part 18, and then the subsequent use of Part 17. And so using these standards as guided to help minimize unnecessary animal testing and mitigate those tests with this good toxicological data, this good assessment. And so the assessment, it starts with extraction. And so Chuck was able to go and give them, um, was it a whole day you were there, Chuck? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, he was at the MFDS for a whole day. They, they asked NAMSA if they could, if we could come train them for a whole day and, and Chuck, Chuck's number was called. He gratefully <laughs> graciously, I guess I should say, uh, accepted the offer when I when I proposed it to him to make a quick trip to Korea <laughs> and do some training. So he was also able to v- catch up with our folks in Japan while he was there. So I haven't even heard about all, how all this went, but we thought what a better thing to do than to have him here with us to talk about what that was like. And then when we get those questions going forward, we can certainly, you know, point people here and we know a little bit more about what's going on. So I guess, Chuck, I don't know if you want to go over kind of what the what the agenda was, what the, the main kind of agenda was that, that they asked you to present on. Yeah, so they were interested in, in how to apply part one of the ISO 10993 standard, how that then would correlate with part 18 and the actual uh, chemistry testing. So we had a number of sessions the, the first two really were talking about how do we look at that risk assessment process in the beginning using part one, what is involved, the information gathering, you know, understanding what the risks are and what the potential gaps in, in their knowledge of the device is, and then how you use that to build a testing plan and then apply part 18 to do some of that chemistry testing. Again, with part one, it's associated with more than just part 18. There's also the um, other risk, you know, testing that could be potentially needed depending on what the type of device is, you know, but they were they were more focused on the chemistry in this this part of it and, and how that initial risk assessment then led to chemistry testing and, and what that meant and how to evaluate that testing process. Right. And so you went over, it was early September, was that correct? Mm-hmm. Mid-September? Yep. Okay. Yeah. September 2023 and had this time with them. And I think, Don, did you all work, you worked with, used some of the the training materials that we've, we've presented before on part yes. one. Yeah. 
So yes, I've um, relied heavily on some of <laughs> Don's expertise and previous training that that he provided to pull together some slides. So um, yeah, a lot of you know again similar training that we've done in other parts of the world for other yep. organizations about you know how we apply these standards and and use them to generate plans for testing and then the additional part that they were asking for was really okay so you use this you build the plan how do you assess whether a laboratory has done it well because again mm -hmm. they're looking at it from an agency standpoint and they want to know well how do i assess whether laboratory A or laboratory B did the testing appropriately, had the appropriate QC in place, the appropriate QA resources, all of that. So they there was a lot more of that involved as well. You know, again, a lot of that is spelled out in the standards, but it, it's vague enough that it makes it difficult to know unless you've actually been involved and have done it. Yeah, certainly oh. that. Yeah. <laughs> Were there chemists? Sorry, Don, I'll let you talk. Yeah, Don's yeah, here ahead. too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were there chemists? Did they have? Do they have chemists on staff, or do you know? Like, did you get an idea? I, I believe there are some. Uh, again, yeah. a, a number of the reviewers that I spoke to were PhD level chemists, but it, it was difficult for me to judge. You know, again, I don't think there were laboratory people there. I think it was more of you know, sure. reviewers and that type of, of folks that were attending, potential reviewers, I guess. Some were doing it, but I, I think a very small number. So they, they were, it was more of a training for some potential reviewers. Did you ever get to the, uh, you know, you were talking about ISO 10993 part one and how that would lead into, say, like an extractables, leachables experiment and mm -hmm. what's good, bad, or indifferent about data that you get, let's just say. In that, were you able to get at all to like what you can possibly use these this type of data for and what you can't use it for? Or is that kind of like part two? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think in, not in a lot of detail, but that was definitely something that I tried to emphasize that, that I think and, and this is a bit of a misconception, I think, for a lot of people when they hear chemical characterization, they immediately think of chemistry. And that's all they think about. And, and it, it's chemistry to a tox risk assessment, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. But there are a lot of ways that we can use the chemical information that we generate as part of a chemical characterization that isn't made, that isn't meant for tox risk assessment. So mm -hmm. it, it, one of the examples that I brought up in the pharmaceutical world, for example, if a company is looking to find an appropriate container for their drug product. They do a lot of testing of different containers to compare that extractables profile to see which would be better, you know, more compatible. So they almost look at the material. So in the med device world, that would be looking at materials of construction before you're ready to build that device for a specific purpose. I don't think the med device community does a lot of that but that would be a very useful tool in determining appropriate materials for specific types of devices. So that's a way that chemistry is used in different areas to evaluate the, uh, an appropriate type of material. Yeah, I mean, it's, this, it's step one of the phase, right? Like, know what we know, 
and then learn yeah. more. Go ahead, Don. Yeah, and and then you know you get to the 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 end where everybody wants something to essentially take care of all this biological testing that 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 that, that they don't want to do, don't have, yeah. don't have time to wait for, or something like yes. that. And that takes it to the next level, which I think is where a lot of people just like like you were referring to. That's kind of right where they jump is. Yeah. Okay. I needed a test to omit tests. So what tests can I omit? Because now I just did one. And yeah. And when it comes to Korea, I you know that's why I was kind of I was kind of thinking about step two. Probably like we're not even there yet, which could be the question that uh, most people are wondering is what I did for the FDA will it work for Korea? And and yeah. Yeah, at least that's the question I always get. Sure, Um, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I I do think that the level of stringency, I think, is is definitely highest with CDRH right now, at least from from what I've seen of of asks from other regulatory bodies, you know, they're what they're asking for. And again, this is an official ask. This is what we know from deficiencies and other communication from the FDA, which is how they sort of communicate unofficially to yeah. testing. It's how we labs. find out when changes are happening before they yeah. happen. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, eventually we'll get official documentation. But for now, you know, from deficiencies, we understand that we have to run surrogates and we have to have, you know, certain things as part of the the testing program. And I don't think other parts of the world are necessarily in alignment with that requirement but yeah you know i think it's important but again i think to answer the rest of your question don i do think a lot of people think well i've done the chemistry now i have my answer i don't need to do all this other testing because that's going to answer all my questions when in fact that might lead to questions that you weren't expecting and you might actually have to do more testing than you thought not less so you know it's very important for people to understand what the testing means and what the outcomes could be. And mm-hmm. it's not always tox risk assessment says your device is safe and you know, you're good to go and you can move on. It might say, oh, you have some potential risk that you need to mitigate and you can do that by other endpoint testing that may be appropriate to mitigate that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, you know, the end of the story that nobody wants to, uh, to reach because it's not the end of the story, but it's right. <laughs> <laughs> so never the end of the story. So I think the interesting thing too, is what you guys are talking about here, the concept of chemistry, as we know, we've talked about is not an, or, you know, it's not like do biological testing or chemistry. It's an, and, you know, it's an, and in most, in most areas for most devices. Now for short-term devices, we know the FDA currently is like, don't, don't give me chemistry on a skin contact device. At least that's what we've we've heard in a general way, especially with the new guidance, right? They're like, you don't have to give me anything. If it meets these parameters, don't even give me yeah. anything. Just tell me it meets these parameters. So I wonder how, I don't, obviously Korea is probably not there yet, obviously that it's an and, but what do we think about their, I guess in your, in your discussions, how the day went, I'm sure they didn't say, oh, yep, we got it now. Now we'll accept chemistry. I'm sure that is not the way it ended. But what what was the the general feel of the of the attendees and that that you received based on, you know, you're helping them understand it better? I think they were they were surprised at the complexity, especially Mm -hmm. the 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 need up front to do the information gathering 
and to lay out that that risk plan, right? Yeah. So to really understand, and again, I think this is a misconception that a lot of people have who, who don't work in the industry every day. They think, well, the FDA expects chemical characterization, so we just do that, regardless of what we know. And <laughs> as we know, sometimes it's not necessary. Yeah. So again, laying out the information that you have, the knowledge of your device and manufacturing, it could lead to a point where, oh, I have all of the information I need from a chemical characterization standpoint, meaning I know all the constituents, I know all the potential components from a manufacturing process, and I can risk assess all of that without generating additional data. It's rare, but that does happen. That is a possibility. And, and knowing that that's the case really drives one to having that risk plan done first before you just jump into testing, thinking, well, you know, I can look at part one, I can look at that table in Annex A, and it tells me I need to do these tests for my device, you know, but that's, yeah. you know, that's like jumping to the end of the book without reading all the details in it, right? <laughs> You're missing a lot of information. If you're just jumping straight to that table, like the Cliff's notes, you think that that's sufficient yeah. and you're not going to pass the test just with the right. Cliff's notes, right? I may or right. may not have experience with that um, <laughs> many moons ago. Um, I think Cliff's notes were invented in Nebraska, too. Anyway, I get into these discussions with people sometimes about random things that were invented in Nebraska now that I'm living here again. So, yeah, th so the plan, you mentioned the plan, and I'm guessing, yeah, like you mentioned, where we know now notified bodies are like, yep, you've given us all the testing, but where's your plan to show us that this was one, necessary and two, sufficient? Right. I'm guessing Korea has not seen a lot of those yet as far as people giving them a solid plan as to, oh, we evaluated all this and, you know, this is why we believe this testing is A, sufficient and two, necessary because, you know, we want to avoid unnecessary animal testing and we want to do testing sufficient enough to prove, you know, the safety um, biologically of the device. So potentially we start showing them more of those plans so they see it. And I, and I don't know, like I said, I don't know if people are taking those out of their submissions to Korea and just, I guess if they had characterization, they might be removing those, those plans from the submission and to not complicate things. So, I mean, potentially we, start showing them more of those to help them understand more of the process. Just a thought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, go ahead, Chuck. I was just going to say in, I did have a session with clients in, in the region as well. And I think from, from my feedback from that session, I, I also think that they were not aware that this is something that is important to have in place and to evaluate so that you you can do exactly what you were saying, Sherry, to show them where the risks are, where the gaps in their knowledge are, and that they're testing sufficiently to cover those risks and those gaps. Right, right. Yeah, Don, would you yeah. have? Yeah, I was. I mean, because you know, there's and the, and there's so many different like from a regional point of view. You know, just Korea being one, you know, specific country, anyways different ways that you get to the end in terms of proving that your device is biocompatible and what you might be tasked with in one case, not in another. And, you know, a third one somewhere in between, you know, when you have a 
regulator pretty much telling you, look, for this category of device, we do not want chemical characterization testing. And and (laughs) you have another one that says uh, you need it for every device. We don't care what it is. Right. (laughs) And and then other ones like, well, you could give it to us, but we're not even sure what we're going to do with it. Um, So, uh, you know, you'd have to convince us that what you did was correct. So, yeah, it's and it's still kind of, you know, surprising to a degree. And and granted, we live it, we all live it day in and day out. But it's still right. kind of surprising just the uh, confusion, misunderstanding, misinterpretation of what yeah. what you actually need to do. But when you get all those different regions kind of looking at it differently, it, ju- it does make your head kind of spin. Like, okay, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> because well, and and it's you know, I think it it speaks to the the point of you know these are guidance documents. They're meant to be a bit vague. And everybody is supposed to evaluate their the safety, right? So, you know, for us as NAMSA, we have a way that we do that evaluation that we feel is appropriate for all the regions of the world. But, you know, as you said, you get into the, the weeds in each one of those regions and, you know, it can make your head spin because everybody looks at those a bit differently, has a different take on what that means to mm-hmm. them. And again, they're they're also translating those saying, (laughs) you know, in my language, this is what those words mean. So there there is a lot of nuance in that. Yeah, that's a great point, too. I'm, I'm, you know, we were I forget who I was talking to. I was talking to somebody about some older language. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm guessing it when when that language was created, there was no need for the word genotoxicity. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) like. Do they have a word for genotoxicity? Like there's a, you know, you have to have at some point the connections have to be made. And I'm sure that same things happens as we start using terms like chemical characterization and extractable studies and exhaustive extraction and and Mm -hmm. how that's defined. I think we can be super grateful we're in the land that we are, where the standards are written in English and you know, the, the committees work in English and and we in general understand them all the time, as best we can, <laughs> as best as they're going to be understandable. I mean, yeah. I've, I've heard, you know, rumors that, you know, it's a pretty active discussion in the part one team about that column, that physical and chemical characterization column that was added to the table and the confusion that it has created based on it being a check mark in a column on a table. When, what do you call that, Don? Your tabular evaluation of Medical device, yeah. That's medical it. Device, tabular yeah. evaluation that's of medical Tabular device. evaluation of medical devices. It yeah. appears that you must fill that box with a test, and that's not always the case. So, yeah, then being somebody that's trying to understand that in another language, when you're not, you know, first in experience and not dealing with it all day long, such as, you know, we do here at NAMSA. So, right. Yeah. Is there anything else from the day in particular you want to, you know, well, mention I, that you found interesting? I think one of the, one of the things that that I thought was very interesting, and again, we had a number of sessions uh, just around Part 18. The you know what what is different now from you know the updated version, which was 2020. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So how is that now different than than what it was before, and what changes came about in that that version? So we had a lot of discussions about 
what is required now that that's there. One of the big yeah. ones is AET and how we calculate it. Oh, sure. Yep. What what that means, where those numbers come from in that calculation, how to, you know, again, around uncertainty factors, that that is a number that needs to be derived by the laboratories and should be based on a, a data set, right? So th there's some important updates that were provided there, but also about how we need to look at the methods that we're using in the chemistry lab. So how do we qualify those methods? What does that mean? What are the components that need to go into that? What data do you have to have, probably behind the scenes, not that you're going to put it in each report, but that sort of support the fact that your methods are appropriate for their intended use, which is sort of the language that's in those standards or those, those guidance documents yeah. about you have a VOC method or an SVOC method. What will, you know, great. How do you know it's going to detect all the compounds you're supposed to detect? Well, we do a qualification to show that in a, with a representative data set that we can detect those at meaningful levels. And, you know, we have a certain LOD and an LOQ based on compounds we've used. So I think that was a bit eye-opening for them that, oh, you have to have all of this supporting data. You can't just pick a method and run it. That that's not how it works. There's there's actually a lot of setup work, if you will, behind the scenes that goes into having a quality data system and supporting data that shows that your methods are appropriate and that you will detect what you should. And you know, you do have limits that are meaningful. So I think that that was important for them and they they appreciated understanding how that is done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting when you talk about those like those details, because, you know, gone are the days when somebody just comes out and says, well, we have a method that can detect down to parts per billion. Well, that's yeah. a great method until you extract a device in 2000 mils of something. And <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, you know, and then but I mean, to that point, I mean, even outside of, you know, Korea that we're talking about, I mean, I've seen data recently from laboratories in other countries where like that mindset almost is still being used and and quite honestly they're generating worthless pretty much worthless chemical characterization test data which makes it even worse for the rest of us because now you got this data set along with you know another data set and you're like okay why isn't that one good enough why is this one okay <laughs> right makes it even more confusing when you have things like that show up which yeah, kind of speaks really to the other point, point. <laughs> like you were talking about trying to tell them what's, you know, how do you, what's a good method? What's a bad method all the way down to, uh, I don't, I doubt you got into the nitty gritty details of extraction because that's just taking it down to yeah. another level that takes a lot. Yeah, no, it was, it was more, you know, generalities, but yeah, you know, that I think, but we did have, we did have a session talking about that you when you're picking solvents, for example, or temperatures for extraction and time, all of those things are things that, that we should be justifying and not just saying, well, it's in the guidance document that, you know, 50 degrees for 72 hours. So that's what I use. That's not saying it's in the guidance document is not an appropriate justification. Mm. You should be choosing those based on the material, the, the, the use of the device, you know, all of those things are meaningful and should be taken into account when you're designing how that 
part 18 testing is going to go. And it's not just, well, I picked from this list for this, I picked from the other list for the solvents, <laughs> and I'm done. You know, that, again, the ask is more for justification, not if it was a prescriptive standard, it would be different, but it's not. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And and that's, I mean, since its inception, which I think all of us were in the industry when it happened, um, the first part 18 came out, that's been one of the challenges that, you know, it's not like a part five or a part six that gives you some specific things that help you in the test method or points to specific test methods like maybe a right. part five does. It is a here's in a general way the way we think extractables testing with medical devices should work in order for us to get data that we can use to mitigate these chronic or subchronic or genotox genotoxic endpoints. So it's a very different type of standard in that regard yeah. <laughs> to be lumped sure. into, you know, the biocompatibility standards. But it is. It's a it's a key component. So but yeah, I remember years ago. Would the first one come out, Don, 2003? No, it was Five. later than that. 2005? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I'd been here a couple years, and I remember us all trying to figure out, <laughs> well, what does even, this mean? What that, do we do? <laughs> then know, we were just doing FTIRs day, and, you know. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, before that, yeah, I remember back in the day where, you know, if you had a biocomp quote going out, people were saying, well, put some PCHEM testing on it to address this characterization thing that's coming out. And it's like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> <Okay>. great. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty powerful USP. stuff. But Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Yeah, I don't have any other questions. Don, did you have any other questions? I'm, I mean, I no, think we're... No, it's a- I didn't expect the results of this, like I said, for us to be able to say, okay, everybody, here's what Korea's doing now, and you're all good. But at least, I mean, I think the the investment of their time and their money to to bring you there, I mean, they're obviously very interested in doing things the right way. And that's absolutely in line with what we support globally. We've done things like this for lots of people, as you've mentioned. So I look forward to the the next opportunity we have to be able to, you know, go further and to continue to help people understand kind of where we're at. So, and I do think, you know, they were very interested in, you know, how to interpret the standards, what it meant, how to do a proper evaluation of data that's generated. So, from my perspective, they were they were definitely eager to understand how the rest of the world is looking at the data that's generated using these standards and you know i think what they on what they learned was there's a lot of nuance to this it's not a as you said it's not prescriptive so there are a lot of things that the laboratories need to be doing in order to make sure that the data they're presenting is quality and they have to have a lot of data to back up the chemical characterization data that they they are presenting it's not right. just that data but also all the the other things that need to be done to show that the methods are appropriate, the conditions are appropriate, the justification is there for solvents and times and temperatures and all of that. So I think they learned a lot, but also that, as we said in the beginning, it's not the end of the story because the data in and of itself doesn't mean anything until a toxicologist has evaluated it and, you know, does their part, which is that tox risk assessment. And yep. again, that, that'll be the next hurdle for them to sort of overcome is, is how, 
what does that look like and how do we evaluate whether that's done appropriately and so you know they they still have some things to to get you know a firmer grasp on but they definitely are moving in the right direction yeah excellent yeah i think you know i've had some follow up emails with with our our person uh sun young in korea who has worked this program with us and she's mentioned you know our next our next opportunity will be one of our toxicologists um in early 2024, probably to, to take this discussion further. So glad to see that they're eager and moving forward. And I think that's a good sign. They're not saying, Oh, nope, we're not even going to go there. Yeah. They're, they're like, no, we, we want to be, we want to be in, in line with what the ISO standards are doing and we need to learn more in order to do that. So sound great. All right. I think that's all I have, unless you guys have anything else done. No, I'm good. I'm good. It's a great discussion. Good. Uh, yeah. You know, like Sherry said, doesn't answer everything that everybody's going to have when it comes to Korea and what to do, but it gives us a place to start if 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 you don't have some place to start for right now. So yeah, right. for sure. And I think you know, in general, it's like I mean, if you have it, give it a try. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're going to bring in some consultants to help them understand the data when they do get it in submissions. Who knows? But I guess I. You know, if you've done it for Europe and you need to go to Korea, you might as well give it a shot. (laughs) I mean, uh, see what happens. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely the direction they want to go. And I think it's one of the situations where they're never going to be 100 percent ready. They just need to dive in and and start to evaluate the data and, and, you know, learn from the evaluation process, because. As we know, there is so much depth and breadth to what we do. Not all of it's the same. There's always going to be nuances. So, you know, you have to start to get your feet wet and and do it before you can really have an appreciation for all the the differences that you're going to see. I agree. I agree. Yeah, this is a hard one to learn by just reading a standard or looking at a book. And I don't know that there's a lot of YouTube videos or (laughs) self-help programs out there that are gonna that are gonna guide them through this it's really one thing where you have to start learning while you do it um which you know so much of how we learn is just by doing it (laughs) um getting better so all right well thank you chuck so much for joining us it's great to have you back uh on the podcast and um we will uh we'll forge ahead and and see what happens and it's exciting it's an exciting direction to see i think for sure All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast.